citizens to On Civics, On Democracy. I'm Daryl Lando, your host, founder of Conserve Democracy. For those who can, I encourage you to follow along with PowerPoint slides provided on the Conserve Democracy website, but the podcast alone is sufficiently informative. Last episode, I gave a quick overview of the seven pillars of democracy model. So here I'll cover the first pillar, what I call equality and consent of the governed. It is about elections, which is what most people associate with democracy. It's a big topic that we will return to in future episodes, no doubt. Every four years, usually, in Canada and in the provinces and in cities like Toronto, we hold another election. We vote for local politicians, usually, based on where we live. We expect our local representative to take our area's interests to the government, to express the wish of the majority in our electoral district and the majority for the whole population. If they don't do that, they may not get re-elected. Elections are the primary source of accountability. Collectively, we give our consent to the winner to form government. At the next election, or sometime sooner, we may choose to give our consent to someone else. A central goal for democracy is to allow a change of government without violence. For most of human history, Unless the king died and his son was ready to take over, there was likely violence, civil war even. But in democracies, the old government moves peacefully into opposition. It works so smoothly here that we take it for granted. I don't believe there was ever a time in our history when the transition didn't happen smoothly, nor when the military intervened in any way. In the U.S., I believe the only spot of trouble in recent history, at least, was the need for a Supreme Court decision in the Bush-Gore election. Now, if Trump is defeated in 2020, some predict it will not be so smooth. Um, Let's hope not. Now, let me address the equality aspect of this process. Each citizen is entitled to an equal vote, regardless of whether you're rich or poor, man or woman, born here or immigrated, smart or dumb. The Greeks called this isonomia, which looks like insomnia, which this podcast might be good for. But in law... We are equal here. You know, but is this the reality? You know, should we do more to ensure that wealthy, well-connected people who are often white male heads of corporations or experienced party insiders do not have more influence over who gets elected than others? And what about the fact that nearly half of the people don't vote and even more think that their vote doesn't count? Um, I think we need to aspire to the value of equality, recognizing our shortcomings without being overly cynical. Because, But it's important because unless we believe that we are equal in the vote, equal in this democratic power, our faith in democracy could be undermined. What does it mean that elections have to be free and fair? Freedom House asks, quote, Are the people's political choices free from domination by the military, foreign powers, religious hierarchies, economic oligarchies, or any other powerful group that is not democratically accountable? In Canada, our elections are free. There's no evidence of coercion to vote in a certain way or not to vote. But the fair part of elections, the idea that the playing field is level for all would-be contenders, is not perfect, as I said. Elections Canada, the body that oversees our federal elections, talks about the importance of elections that are, quote, 
governed by a set of laws and procedures designed to allow qualified electors to have an equal say in the selection of representatives, end quote. One key area that it regulates is election spending. It acknowledges that, quote, striking the right balance between the values of liberty and equality may be difficult. Nevertheless, it is widely accepted that limits on contributions and expenses promote the proper functioning of a democratic society, end quote. So we are constantly debating that balance and reforming the system towards more equality in our elections, in contrast to the direction taken in the U.S., which is maybe more towards liberty, at least as defined there. So, okay, now before we come back to some of the problems with our elections, let's quickly cover some basics. How are our politicians and leaders chosen? Obviously, in elections, by who gets the most votes. We usually don't get to vote for the leader. We vote for candidates in our riding, the electoral district that we live in. Candidates are people who put their name forward to run for election. Most belong to a political party, and they got selected to run through the party's process, through their local riding association, or for leaders through a party contest. The head of government, whether the premier of the province or prime minister of Canada, is the leader of the party that wins the most seats. Now, there are also independent candidates who just have to meet a few legal requirements, and they run without that party support, which is a challenge. Now, it's different at the municipal level, where you get to vote for the mayor and you also vote for the local councillor. And political parties don't tend to operate at the municipal level in Canada, and certainly not in Ontario, because the rules don't allow candidates to raise campaign funds for a party, only for themselves. Anyway, I won't bore you with details about this, but the slides have some more basic information. Other civics courses spend most of their time on these basics, but here we want to delve deeper. For instance, Canada's lowest score in democracy ratings is for political participation, a problem many advanced democracies share. We have low membership in political parties and a general lack of political engagement. The Samara Centre found that only 10% of us belong to a party and only 15% of the rest would even consider it. In our recent federal election, turnout was a decent 66%, but 9 million eligible voters didn't vote, and at times we are closer to 60%. Ontario's voter turnout in 2018 increased nearly 8% from the previous election, and it was still only 58%, which was nearly a historic low. So, And then municipal elections are surprisingly worse, with recent turnout at 41% in Toronto, which was about average for cities. So some see this as proof that our system is in bad shape. And new citizens to our country, who come sometimes from war-torn or authoritarian countries, are eager to cast their vote. So some people don't vote because they think their vote doesn't matter. And, you know, it's perhaps one vote doesn't matter, although there are situations historically where an election was decided by one or a few votes. But the problem is, if many people feel that way, then it's a problem. So, and leaders count on getting a mandate from the people to carry out their policies and platform. And as President Abe Lincoln said, quote, with public sentiment, nothing can fail, 
Without it, nothing can succeed. The turnout problem is greater for the youngest voters, so that is something that's getting more attention. And you can see in the slides a graph that shows why it's important to get people voting early and the fact that once people start voting, they are quite likely to continue. So if you don't do a good job of convincing people to vote in a first election, you probably won't get them at the next election. But convincing people means overcoming the sense that our votes don't count. And one obstacle is built into our electoral system because ours is a first-past-the-post or winner-take-all system. So I'm going to shorten that to FPTP. We often talk of majority rule in a democracy, but in FPTP, the candidate that receives a plurality, meaning the most votes, not a majority necessarily, wins. And that is why it is also called a single-member plurality. So picture a race, let's say a 100-meter dash with five runners, and the winner beats the second-place runner by a tenth of a second. But there's only one medal, a gold medal, and the other four get nothing. You know, that's our system. I mean, I guess you could say that there is a kind of silver medal for the second place that becomes the official opposition. In, uh, but anyway, basically... And now imagine that there are people cheering for the runners, and you're, you're one of them. And let's say there are equal numbers cheering for each runner. So in the end, basically 80% of the audience lose, and only 20% win. So our system, while sort of simple in its design, also makes losers of most of us. Now, this is also how the United Kingdom works in the US, more or less, but we are very much in the minority of democracies in the world. FPTP systems are virtually two-party races. In the UK, it's mainly a race between the Conservatives and Labour, and in Canada, it's almost always between the Conservatives and the Liberals. In the US, there's really only two parties, and so... In 2016, voters had to choose between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and really neither was a favorite for, for many people there. But the choices are limited. Now, in Canada, we have more choices, but people feel compelled to vote strategically for the likely winner. And so that's one of the reasons why this FPTP system leaves them feeling uninspired. So you hear people pushing for electoral reform, or ER, and specifically they often propose proportional representation, or PR, which is a more common system than our FPTP. I'll go into this more in future podcasts, um, and the way in which our system maintains a certain status quo of power, etc. But let me balance this by saying that our system is still one of the best, and we should be careful not to be too cynical about it. Okay, I've thrown a lot of acronyms at you that might have your head spinning, and we've covered enough ground for this podcast. So next time, we will talk about the second pillar of democracy, and I thank you for tuning in. Please visit conservedemocracy.ca for more information, and find us on Twitter and Facebook, at Serve Democracy. All the best, and take care.